Everybody. This is uh, Art Barter with the Servant Leadership Institute and uh, it's a very special day for SLI and myself. We have a, um, one of the best local servant leaders that I can imagine, uh, but also somebody that played basketball, which I'm a little bit of a basketball fan, um, but not only that, he played at UCLA, which is I snuck into UCLA when I was in college. I, I couldn't afford to go there, but I snuck in and watched basketball games. So that's kind of cool. Then he played for the Lakers for a little bit, and I'm a Laker fan, so two two pluses. Um, and but more importantly, I've watched him do work at the local boys and girls club here in Carlsbad, and just has a heart for coaching and serving young people in the community. So. Brad Holland is with us today. Brad, welcome to the SLI podcast. It's great to have you with us. Art, it's really good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So you're kind of famous to me, right? You're UCLA. I mean, that was back in, in my college days, that was the place to go. Um, and uh, a friend of mine, we went to Cal State Fullerton and we would sneak in. Well, we wouldn't sneak in. We'd buy some tickets, but we sat right behind the student section and you know, we made like we were students and had a blast up there. Uh, I remember driving up in a old, old Comet car that, you know, we kept our fingers crossed that it would make it up there and make it back. Uh, but we had a blast up at Poly Pavilion. And uh, I don't think you were playing at the time. What, what I, years were, were that? That would have been um, 72, 73. Yeah, so I was a little bit... Be um, beyond that, I was 75 to 79 was my four years there. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I grew up in Los Angeles and, um, you know, I, I admired coach Wooden's teams. Of course they were on television, as you recall, all KTLA up, at yep. 11 AM every night. And I watched all of those games. Uh, and, uh, my dad years ago, he put up a, a basketball hoop, you know, over our, our driveway uh, when I was about 12 years old, and I would um, I would shoot, and I would shoot for hours uh, mm -hmm. into the night. He put a little spotlight out there oh and everything. Gosh. And I would dream about, uh, you know, being a Bruin, being a Laker. You know, I'd pretend to be Gail Goodrich. Or, oh, there you go. Or Elgin Baylor or Jerry West, um, what have you. Um, and so then to actually uh, get good enough through a lot of hard work um, and play for both programs, the Bruins and, and the Lakers is, you know, in some ways, um, I'm 62 now, but I still pinch myself like, wow, I did that. Right, you know? exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> I did that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so so back in those days, as you know, Art, UCLA was the number one program in the country. Coach mm -hmm. Wilden, uh, Coach Wilden had built a dynasty. And um, so I grew up watching that. And then to uh, be re recruited by him and his staff, um, my freshman year but mm -hmm. in in high school all the way through my senior year oh they started freshman they started as oh, a really? freshman yeah wow. they came and saw me uh in the ninth grade and um the the recruiting continued and so i was fortunate enough that i was recruited by 
you know, Bobby Knight at Indiana and Dean Smith at North Carolina and all the big schools. And at the end of the day, uh, it was really, um, UCLA was really where I wanted to go. Right, yeah. And mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, I, I didn't get to play for Coach because he retired right before uh, I entered UCLA. And uh, But uh, I had a great relationship with him. He was a great mentor me, uh, mentor for me uh, in my college uh, coaching days and uh, just an incredible man. But, um, you know, in some ways I felt like I played for him, you know, because Gary Cunningham uh, was our coach my junior and senior years, and he had played for coach and was – Ran his practices, Coach Wooden's practices, identically. Oh, was that right? From okay. from how we warmed up to the different drills to the three on three, four on four, five on five, all the way through. And and um, I had been to many of Coach Wooden's practices, you know, being recruited. And our high school coach Ed Gorgian would take us once a year to watch UCLA practice, which was really cool. So I was very familiar with how they practiced mm-hmm. uh, before I even got there. And then to play for Gary for a couple of years, um, you know, and Gary was very mild-mannered, uh, a lot like Coach, and, uh, and, went, and was his assistant for years before he became the head coach at UCLA. So mm-hmm. in, in some ways I feel like I played for him. Yeah. But uh, no, it was, um, it was a terrific experience. Uh, my mentor, John Maxwell, one of my mentors, he was mentored by John Wooden. And I asked him once, I said, John, what's it like? He says, Art, I take a great big yellow pad <laughs> and a pen. I listen and write for about an hour straight. I mean, it's just like <clears throat> knowledge and wisdom just came out. And it came out with a great heart, he said. A yeah. great heart to serve. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, people over the years have asked me, um, their favorite question is, what's Coach Wooden like? The best way I can describe him is that when you spent time with him, you left wanting to be a better person. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is the ultimate compliment. You know, he was very humble. He didn't try to um, give you advice. He would just say, you know, Brad, think about this, and uh, here's what we did, and here's what I believe. And um, he would just share things with you. And and then you just try to be a sponge, and right, right. you write things down, you pick things up, and you walk away going, I want to be a better person, because mm-hmm. he just was so impressive that way. And he wasn't trying to be. That right. was that was just Coach Wooden right. being himself. Yeah, that's that's great. Now, you were, were recruited while he was coach, but you didn't play for him. You played for, I think it was Gene Bartow who took over. Now, I'm real curious, from a leadership perspective at the coach level and university level, you go from a very, very successful program, I think with an expectation with a new new coach to, to be pretty close to that. What did you observe in that transition from a John Wooden retirement to bringing on a brand new coach? Was there any anything from a leader, leadership perspective that kind of stood out in that transition period? Well... First of all, how do you how do you measure up to what Coach Wooden built? I, I don't know, and yeah. and him as a person. So pretty much anyone that follows Coach, at least immediately after, uh, while the expectations are still high, how are you able to achieve to that standard? Mm-hmm. I think it was impossible for Coach Bartow to come in 
and continue the program as it was. Mm -hmm. I think Gene Bartow's a fine coach, um, but he's not Coach Wooden mm -hmm. because nobody is. Right. You know, and Gary Cunningham, who I spoke of, he, he talked about, I wanted to be the guy that followed the guy. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, so he came in. So think about this. So Gene Bartow and Gary Cunningham, so in my four years, we, we, were, we had an incredible record. I think we lost a total of eight games mm -hmm. in my four years. So both coaches were, you know, like, you know, 52, 56 and four. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And both, after their two years, said, I can't do this anymore. Right. There's, you're too much under the microscope. The expectations to win a national championship every year. They weren't having fun. Right. It, it was too, you know, it was too arduous and ominous for them to, to enjoy being the head coach at UCLA because of what coach wouldn't have built. And at that time, coach still had an office, mm -hmm. you know, in the J.D. Morgan okay. Center. Right, right. Went to a lot of practices, sat behind the bench on every game. Right, <laughs> so exactly. it yeah. was like, you know, it was just too much, I guess, for them. Because you think about that. Both were successful in terms of wins and losses. Exactly. Um, but they both said, you know what, I... Uh, two years is enough for me. Yeah, yeah. Was there uh, when when uh, Cunningham came on board? Was there a little change in leadership that the players had to adjust to with that change? Well, it was an easier change because I think the for the for the veterans in the program, right, the juniors and seniors that had experienced Coach Wooden and then Coach Bartu was kind of back to normal, really, with 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 Gary Cunningham because he was a great. Bruin, mm -hmm. assistant coach, um, understand, understood um, the high post offense, right. um, yep. you know, our 2-2-1 zone press. Um, so we went back to really um, the X's and O's of a John Wooden program. And, and Gene Bartow came in, and he didn't do that, right? But mm -hmm. he, he was his own guy, and we ran all different stuff. And, um, and then so... It was it was back to normalcy, I think, for the veterans um, with with Gary Cunningham, yep. and so it just felt better, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but yeah, it was it was, so I saw two interesting transitions happen in my four years there. Yeah, and that, that and that's so interesting to me in a four year program where you play for four years you have that, that amount of change to go through with coaches, right? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, Gene Bartow uh, obviously had success at Memphis and, and so on and so forth. And he came in and, you know, he has a southern drawl. He has a different way of delivering verbally what he wants and what he expects and um, did things entirely different than Coach Wooden, naturally. Right. Um, and it was, it, it was so... Um, different that uh it not, it's not that players rebelled it was just it was so different um that it wasn't comfortable right right and going with Gary Cunningham two years after that I think it was more comfortable for everybody um because everybody knew coach Cunningham um and, and from his playing days and coaching days and so it was just it, it felt better I guess mm -hmm. yeah you know, we talk in leadership development at SLI that when you start to change a culture of an organization that's been around for a while, it takes almost seven, eight years to change that culture. And you think about the program at UCLA, 
the amount of time required to change that program, you know, what you run, how you run it, how you do practices, manage the players, manage the actors. That's a seven to eight year time period. And so, and when you're under pressure to perform, it makes that transition even tougher. And so we have leaders that go through that same transition where there's a pressure to perform and at the same time they're, tra- they're trying to change the culture. Right. Right. And it's, it's a very difficult thing to do. I've experienced yeah. that in, in coaching and <clears throat> in what I'm doing now as CEO of uh, Boys and Girls Clubs of Carlsbad. And so when you take over a program, right, you have, you have, you have existing players and then sometimes you may, you may keep a, an existing si- assistant because you want to try to keep some continuity of relationships, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then you hire a couple of new assistants to go along with that existing assistant. And now, now you're coaching players that was recruited and coached by someone else. Exactly. And so to your point, the time factor, you have to go through, at least in college basketball, a full cycle of recruiting, which is four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, to where you now have, after four years, truly your own team, if you will, because you've recruited all of that, all of those players, right? So right. the existing players are gone, mm-hmm. and it takes at least that amount to get to get your recruited players and to change the culture, in in my view, in college basketball. Now you sat on the coaching side as well. You were coach here in San Diego for University of San Diego for. 13 years. 13 years. So you you made the transition from player to coach. But before I, I jump into that and ask you a few questions about that, I have to ask you some questions about the Lakers. Okay. Number one, who was your favorite player that you played with while, uh, you, while you were there? My, my favorite player I played with was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, you know, I, I um, obviously grew up watching uh, the Lakers, uh, which excuse me, the Bruins, which included uh, on our team, mm-hmm. Kareem, right, and then right. Jamal Wilkes, and I love Jamal, oh, yeah, and I love I love Jamal Wilkes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, this takes me right back to my rookie year. So now it's it's picture day. Okay, I've signed. It's picture day. We're going to start practice, and I get my Laker uniform on. I'm so excited, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. little kid in a candy store, and I. Right. I step out onto the forum floor, and I, I'm the first one. I'm the first one there, and I'm shooting around, shooting around, and I'm thinking to myself, and I have met Kareem. And mm-hmm. I'm like, God, what, you know. I'm a little intimidated, you mm-hmm. know. It's mm-hmm. like, how's this, you know, uh, how's this going to go, you know. And so, you know, other players start trickling in, um, and then I see Kareem step onto the floor out of the corner of my eye. There's the big fella, you know. I mean, already 10 years in the league, already – um, you know, 10 years on the all-star team, you know, world champion at the Bucks, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I'm like, ah, you know, this is this is surreal to me because I was a kid watching him play, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm shooting at one end, he's at the other end, and I see him walking toward my end of the court. And I keep shooting, keep shooting. And he gets about 10, 15 feet away, and he goes, hey, Brad. And I turn, and he goes, Hey, welcome to the Los Angeles Lakers. Good to have you. I, I was like speechless. I didn't know what to say. You know, I was like, because I thought, oh, I'm going to have to go introduce myself to him or something. You know, mm-hmm. so he couldn't have been kinder. We we uh, we developed a really good relationship uh, over you know my couple years there. 
Um, it didn't hurt me being a Bruin, right? Right, right exactly. It didn't hurt mm-hmm. me. And so, uh, but, but Magic Johnson was great to me. Jamal Wilkes, uh, Norm Nixon, Michael Cooper, all those guys were terrific to play with. But Kareem is special to me just because of that story and how he, mm-hmm. he kind of opened himself up to me and said, hey, you know, glad you're here and that kind of thing. And so uh, we had many bus rides and plane rides where we talked about many different things. And he's super engaging and bright and um, very well read. And uh, uh, he's just a, he's, he's an amazing guy. So that, that, that's a special uh, time for me with him. That's cool. Who was the coach at the time? Well, that was another interesting transition because uh, Jack McKinney uh, was our coach. And um, when I was drafted, there was no coach. Jerry West had stepped down and became, you know, the general manager. Bill Sharman was the president. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they hired Jack McKinney, who had had some success in the Indiana Pacers. And so... Um, you know, we started practice, and we were, uh, I think, nine or 12 games into the season, and he had a terrible bicycle accident where he was um, going down a pretty steep hill, lost control, went head over heels, and yeah. had to have a couple of, uh, had a severe head injury, had a couple of brain surgeries and things like that. And so Paul Westhead, I remember that. who was his assistant, uh, took over, and so that you know and so Paul just tried to keep going with what you know Jack had already established and of course they were really good friends Jack McKinney and Paul Weston they're both from the Philly area and were very close and so he just tried to carry on um with um with what Jack had established in our early season and so um the most interesting thing to me is you know back then people don't realize uh you know, you had one assistant coach, mm-hmm, right? And you had a trainer, right? I mean, that was it. You know, now you look at the NBA bench. There's five assistants in suits, and then there's like six guys behind the bench, right? right? Mm-hmm. It's just amazing how that's uh, how that's developed. But so they need an assistant coach, and so they asked Pat Riley to step down from the from the uh, announcing booth with Chick Hearn to be an assistant coach. coach. Mm-hmm. He agreed to do it. And he was fantastic. I mean, it was like he was born to do that. I played for three years in the uh, L.A. Pro Summer League for Pat Riley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, he was great to play for, uh, very demanding, uh, newest stuff. And I'm like, it's like he's been doing it his whole life, Art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I knew really quickly, like, Pat Riley is going to be a great head coach in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, so really our head coach in my time with the Lakers was Paul Westhead and Pat Riley was our yeah. assistant. Cool, cool. So you ended up with, I think, with a knee injury that kind of took you out of the pro or? Well, I had a, I had a knee operation every year I was, I was in the NBA. I had, I had a knee operation prior to that, a reconstructed, uh, reconstructive knee surgery when I was at UCLA. I, I unfortunately, uh, I was blessed with uh, great hand-eye and, and speed and quickness and things like that. What I wasn't blessed with was good knee joints. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, you know, all the pounding and jarring and cutting and jumping just wore my knees out quickly. And here I'm a young man. Right. Um, so after many, many surgeries, you know, they each one takes a little bit out of you. And I lost a little speed and quickness, and that really hurt my ability to 
to stay in the NBA longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but knee injuries were were my my downfall. It just uh, it's just the way it was. It's a it's a long season, isn't it? It is on the body. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, we I think that that rookie year, you know, we won you know we won the world championship seventy nine eighty, and um, you know um, I think we played a hundred and eight games. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you know including the finals and that's just you know when you're when you're playing 30 32 games in college <laughs> right exactly <laughs> and yep. now you play 108 it's like my goodness and then all the travel yep. that you do mm-hmm. uh you know now every NBA team has their own plane they get to the next city well we had to travel commercial and cool. we had to take the first commercial flight out early in the morning wherever mm-hmm. we were going mm-hmm. because if you had weather delays or whatever it was you know that's yep. just the way it was. Now everybody has their own plane, their yeah. own chef, and they, they get right. to the next city yeah. that night. And uh, yeah. and so I think it's less hard on them mm-hmm. uh, because of all that. But, uh, yeah, we didn't get to experience that. We flew commercial. So you move into coaching, and now you're influencing young lives at the college level. Um, tell us a little bit about those young lives you influenced and what kind of transition they went through and how you helped them with that transition from high school to college and playing at that level, uh, maybe not being the star of the team or the, the central figure of the team. Um, share with our, our listeners a little bit about your coaching experience on the other side where you were helping players develop. Yeah, I mean, I, that was um, I, I was just short of 25 years as a, as a college basketball coach. Most of that time, I was a head coach. Um, I, my first head coaching job was at my alma mater, UCLA. I, I was blessed to start there mm-hmm. um, under Jim Herrick, and and um, you know started developing my philosophy and things like that. Wanting to be a head coach, and then became a head coach uh, four years after that. So um, my first head coaching job was at Cal State Fullerton. I was there for two years, and then, as you said, uh, thirteen years at USD, and then. Uh, I, I coached beyond that a couple of years up at UC Santa Barbara with Bob Williams. But, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, when I when I became a head coach, I was pretty young. You know, I was uh, 32 and, and uh, you know, I uh, felt I, I knew everything mm-hmm. and found out when I became a head coach, I really didn't know that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, one of the best things I did was hire my uh, my high school coach, Ed Gorgian, who had retired, and uh, coach is still alive. He's 92 years old. He's a great person and lives in Oceanside, so I get wow. to see him quite a bit. But that was, you know, he helped me learn how to be a head coach mm-hmm. um, at Fullerton. And just, um, you know, his his assisting with the defense and some of our other uh, trying to establish our culture and things like that, um, it was really good for me. But when I started out, I, I you know, as a head coach, I really, I really made it about me, which was a big mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, I had this, you know, background and this pedigree, and I'm going to be this unbelievable head coach. And I really made it about me more than I made it about the players. Yes, I, you know, I, I, I knew what they were going through um, as a student athlete and how demanding it is and things like that, and I respected all that. I mean, I wasn't crazy, but I, I made it more about me. And I, I learned early on that, no, I need to make it about the players, mm-hmm. yeah. not about me. And so, 
I learned over the course of time to really help develop them as people, as players, as students, um, so that they got the full experience of college, which I think is a wonderful experience. Um, because sport into, unto itself is an education, mm-hmm. you know, by, by learning the game and learning the fundamentals and learning how to compete at your highest level and all of those things, uh, the training, the discipline that it takes to be really good, I tried to pass that along, right, to mm-hmm. players and made it more about them. And uh, that's when I realized more success as a head coach when I figured that out finally. (laughs) So it became a joy to try to help them achieve their goals. You know, for example, at USD, the the realistic uh, thing for our student athletes is they're not going to be a pro. They're not Mm going to, meaning the NBA. Right. Now, many of our guys went on to Europe and Japan and other places and, and and had good careers and you know, made a little money and put money away playing basketball, which was great. Um, but it was really about being, you know, helping them become the best person and player that they could be. And uh, so in all of our assistants, we're, we're all on the same page, um, trying to help our guys, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. achieve that within the team concept right. uh, of, of basketball. So I miss that about coaching. I miss that about um, being with the players, being on the practice floor, um, going going through things with them and strategizing and helping them, helping our team and our staff be the best uh, we could be to you know achieve as many wins as possible. It, it's really a transition because you can't put. It- a uniform on and some sneakers and jump on the floor. And, and that really right. frustrated me. Yeah, exactly. And that's when I was making it about me because, like, how can you can't, you know, do this? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, what do you, you know, and um, <laughs> that's a, I think back and I shake my head, what were you doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I remember Jerry West talking about that. He, he said, you know, I, I couldn't be, you know, I think he was head coach of the Lakers for three years, and it would just frustrate him so much that players couldn't execute what he wanted them to because he was such a great player. He thought, you know, this is easy. Right. Why can't you do this? And it would frustrate him, to put it sim- um, simply. And so I, I experienced that. And then i like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I, I can't approach it that way. Yeah. You know, one of the worst things you can do to, to people is to put them on the defensive where they have nowhere to go. So, you know, if somebody's making a mistake and I say to you, Art, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. You have nowhere to go. It's like, uh, 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 instead of, hey, Art, okay, remember, this is this is what we want. This mm-hmm. is what we expect. This is what we're looking for, okay? Okay. Right. Yeah. And so I had to learn all those lessons, um, being a head coach and coming up and um, learning how how and when do players respond and in, in what and in what way by your body language by the words you use um all of that 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 takes time you don't just automatically have that necessarily right. in my in my view and you've got to meet the players where they are because some are a little bit more mature than others when they come to the so level. true and and so what works for this individual over here doesn't work for this individual and yet they're playing on the same team Next to each other. 
So true. Yeah, and it's the same, so same way in business. You have to meet people where they are. Exactly, yeah. and everyone's different. You, you, in fact, and I learned this from Coach Wooden, you can't treat every staff member or every player the exact same way. Right. If you, if you do, that's not going to work very well. Mm-hmm. Because they, first of all, they learn different ways. They receive information different ways. And um, so, you know, as a leader, let's say, um, a, a big part of your job is, is understanding where they are, mm-hmm. how they learn, how they respond, and then coaching them or helping them to reach their potential through 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 the best method, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that takes time. You've got to get to know your people. You've got to get to know your players. Right. And then what buttons to push, if you will. I mean, I had, I had guys where, you know, if I raise my voice a little bit, they would tear up. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and, yep. then I, and then I had guys that they wanted yeah. you to be more demanding mm-hmm. and get on and say, hey, this is what we – it was very interesting mm-hmm. to, to go all – and all of that, all of those learning um, – times with with coaching and players and all that really helped me in the job I'm doing right now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with the Boys and Girls Club. It really prepared me to um, to run this organization, if you will. Um, you know, there. <laughs> I, I think back of all the things that I learned in coaching and and then being re- recruited for this particular job with with the Boys and Girls Clubs of Carlsbad. You know when you when you when you run a Division One program, mm-hmm. your head coach, you run a small business, mm-hmm. and so a lot of the coaching skills and those skills that I learned transferred to what I'm doing now. Um, it's a little different, but a lot of the skills transferred. Um, so it's really that's really helped prepare me. So let's talk about you. You went from uh, coaching basketball, being a player, coaching. And you made a transition into the Boys and Girls Club here in Carlsbad. What was, was there anything that was driving you inside of you that, that attracted you to that position? How, how did that come about? That's a great question. Um, here I am at UC Santa Barbara coaching. We had just gone to the NC2A tournament. I get a call from Greg Nelson, who um, long longtime Carlsbad resident, who, no, no, actu- yeah. who actually grew up in the club um, as a kid and actually became the executive director before he went into business. And he called me. He said, hey, Brad, you know, um, I want to get you out of the rat race of coaching. I'm like, what? What? Yeah. He said, yeah, yeah, I want, I want, I want you. We need a new leader mm-hmm. at the Boys and Girls Club. And I knew it was near and dear to his heart. Mm-hmm. But I said, Greg, no, I'm a, I'm a basketball coach. Right. Uh-huh. And I'm going to be a head coach again. He said, no, just... I want you to come down. I want you to meet some board members. We're building a new clubhouse um, along with our village clubhouse, and I, I want to show you that and just meet some people and just see what you think. Because he said, you know, we need to get you and Leslie back to Carlsbad. And I'm like, hmm. Of course, you know, our 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 kids are in Carlsbad. We raised them there. They all, all three of them graduate from Carlsbad High School and so on and so forth. And I go, Okay, Greg, you know, I'll, I'll come down. So I did. And, you know, it, it started uh, to intrigue me. Uh, I wasn't sold, but it started to intrigue me. I went back up to Santa Barbara, had a couple of interviews as a head coaching job for head coaching jobs. And I was ended up being the bridesmaid 
in a couple of these positions. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, hmm, maybe it's time for me to consider a change. I, so I prayed about it. Obviously, I talked to Leslie. Um, and, uh, of course, she was kind of like the idea of going back to Carlsbad. Carl, yeah, coming back home, right? <laughs> coming yeah. back home yeah. and yeah. kids and all of that. And, and so, so I called Greg up, and he said, yeah, come on down again because a couple, couple more people want to meet you and this and that. So it was, it was really good to be recruited, mm-hmm. if you will, and being wanted. Uh, for the position, at the end of the day, it just made sense to come back to Carlsbad because that's actually you know where we raised our family when I was the head coach at USD. So now I didn't serve the community, but mm-hmm. I was somewhat familiar with the community, and so that's really how it happened. And um, you know that was May 2010. Yeah. So you you go from having influence on college age kids. Now you're talking about a wider range of kids, much younger influencing them um when you made that change was there anybody within the organization that went what the heck are we doing we were hiring a basketball coach what do we what's he have to do with running a nonprofit? they're probably i i never heard that from any of the board members but i'm sure a few of them were thinking that that way but what greg was really smart he had me spend time with I want to say I met six to eight of the board members Mm -hmm. and I spent time with them, like real time, like half an hour, hour with each. And of course they asked me, why would you want to, you know, you're a college vet, why would you want to do this? And, and they're trying to get my motivation and, and, and getting to know me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think at at the end of all those interviews, they were like, I hope we can, I hope he'll do it. Mm -hmm. I hope he'll do it. So, um, that's that's really how it happened, and, and you know, like any program, art. When I say program, you know, a college basketball program that you take over, the boys and girls clubs of Carlsbad. There, you you walk in and you you get a feel for two three months, and you realize I need to change the culture. Mm-hmm. I need better players. Mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunately, we had to to move some people. Um, developed the culture, and that took years, took years right? right? So I'm yeah. so I'm almost ten years into this now, and that took a little time, right? As you mentioned earlier, uh, but man, it's been it's been so gratifying. Um, we have a really good team um, of of staff members, board members. Uh, we're all rowing in the boat in the same direction, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's taken a while, but we're there. And um, I I. I am so thankful that I'm doing this, and I have no regrets leaving coaching. And for me personally, that feels really good because, you know, I'd done it for so long, the coaching thing, and it's like now I'm going to do something entirely different. How am I going to be with that right, after right. after a time? And mm-hmm. I, I can tell you I have no regrets, and I'm very thankful for that. So tell us a little bit about the programs. You have multiple programs for kids. Um, but the basic, and I want you to share this uh, with the audience, you have a saying within the organization that, that anybody who wants to be part of the program can be part of the program. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Right. I think you guys say it in your own special way. Yeah, we, yeah. we never want to turn a young person away for their inability to pay. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so we, we give out a lot of scholarship money, if you will, financial aid to families, and uh, we keep our fees real low on top of that. Mm-hmm. 
That's, that's a, I love that philosophy of our organization and our board. I mean, our board is so resistant to any fee raises or anything like that. Uh -huh. They want to give more financial aid away. In fact, we're looking at a new rubric that uh, will be even more inclusive to families uh, in terms of their income and so on and so forth. And we're already providing, you know, a half million dollars of financial aid a year. And that's, that's considerable for a small organization Absolutely. like that. Mm -hmm when you consider that our fees are already low. So we're going to keep in that vein, and we're going to keep going that way, and maybe even change our, our rubric and uh, include more families. But, um, you know, we, our mission is to inspire our community's young people, mm -hmm. right, to be great. Right. And through education and enriching and fun experiences in a safe environment. That's right. That's our mission. And so... Here's where we start, Art, on any conversation we have about what we are going to do uh, as an art, whether, whether it's a facility improvement, whether it's a program improvement, whatever the case may be, our whole orientation is, will it benefit the kids we're privileged to serve? Right. That's, that's our whole orientation, and I love that. Now, you have some sports involved in your program, which doesn't surprise me. Um, which it, which is great, but one of the programs I saw and read about was a little bit was character and leadership development. Um, share with our audience what that program is all about. Well, we we have um, character and leadership uh, programs with our younger kids and our teens, and um, it's uh, you know I think it's really important for kids to understand you know what what truly is character and what is leadership. And, you know, so many uh, young people want to be followers. Uh -huh. um, they don't want to really stand on their own. Um, and we're, we're trying to te teach kids to be themselves, um, that they're good enough, uh, that they can lead, um, you, know, don't, you know, not succumbing to peer pressure. Uh -huh. uh, and you know what's going on with, with the peer pressure thing and social media oh, yeah. and things yep. like that. And it's, it's, it's so dangerous. And... Uh, so um, we, we provide actually a lot of different unique programs that, that uh, I think are really good. You know, you can imagine an, a, a normal after-school program where kids have been at their, their school all day and then they continue the program there. Okay, right. mm -hmm. uh, what I love about what we do is we have a transportation system and we pick up kids at the elementary schools and middle schools and we bring them to our clubhouses. Mm -hmm. And then we do, well, of course, we do educational and homework and tutoring and all that. But we also do um, unique programs like leadership mm -hmm. and um, many, many other things that, that you wouldn't get at a normal after-school program. Right. Because we want to we mentor. We want to guide. We want to engage kids. We want them to think for themselves. We want them, um, you know, we want them to grow. In that time we have with them after school, mm -hmm. we want them to grow and be enriched. And uh, so we do that in a variety of ways. And really the kids, it's their clubhouse. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they can come in and they can choose which programs and which things to engage in, whether it's, oh, that's cool. whether it's sports, whether it's homework, whether it's leadership, whether it's, you know, little chefs where they're mm -hmm. learning to cook or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. um, music, drama, so on and so forth. So we, we put it out there for them, 
And of course, the parents love that, that, mm -hmm. that, that for the first time, their children are learning, learning something new mm -hmm. and are exposed to something different than they were exposed at school. In, in that safe environment you talked about. Right. right? Yeah. yeah, it's all about, mm -hmm. you know, when we list our, you know, our goals, if you will, number one is safety. Mm -hmm. The kids feel safe with us. That's huge. And so we're very careful, right, on who we hire, um, who they are as people. Um, we have, you know, safety procedures, um, both for staff and young people. We have safety drills. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have all these different things going on safety-wise. Um, but, yeah, I, I, that's our number one priority is we want, we want our staff and our kids to feel safe in our clubhouses. Yeah. Now, I also read that you get most of your funding through private avenues. Is that is that correct? That's correct. It's right. it's probably 98% okay. uh, is is private money from the private sector. So um, our fundraising as you as you know, we're we're event driven. Um, mm -hmm. we have five major events. Um, and uh, we obviously raise a considerable amount of money through those events as well as our board. Mm -hmm. um, we have 35 board members. Um, so, and they're very generous with their time and financial resources. And then we have corporate partners mm -hmm. that are involved in our organization from uh, an event standpoint, uh, sponsoring. Um, and so, you know, you put, a, put that all together and, uh, you know, it's, it's private money. We, because of demographics uh, here in Carlsbad, we really don't qualify for you know, California state financial aid or federal aid. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have we have to raise pretty much every dollar to yeah, meet our budget. budget. That's, that's 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 who we are. But you still have a pretty interesting mix of cultures in in uh, Carlsbad, don't you? Absolutely I mean, do. Yeah. Absolutely do. What I said, you know, like the the Village Clubhouse um, is in the Barrio area. It's called, mm -hmm. and so. We have a lot of underserved families there, but you'd be surprised how many underserved and low-income families that we provide financial aid in the Bressy Ranch Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, lo a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of low-income housing mm -hmm. in Carlsbad, mm -hmm. and of course there's wealth as well. But um, yeah, so uh, about 30% of our, of our young people are on financial aid. And I'm talking about, you know, they're almost at the poverty line. Mm -hmm. They're their parents. I mean, it's 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 right there. It's it's pretty remarkable. And then our our staff, our organization deals with a lot of family issues. We deal with pretty much everything. We're dealing with uh, separations and divorce and restraining orders mm -hmm. and, um, and and young people that don't have parents. And uh, uh, we have a few families that are living out of a car. We, you know, we, we really run the gamut. And then both parents lose their job, a lot of single parents. Yep. And so we want to be there for them mm -hmm. because we see their kids and what they're going through. And, and sometimes they act out because they're so frustrated with what's happening at home. And so we want to be that support system, that second home where they feel comfortable and safe and, uh, and our staff that works directly with the kids, they really get to know the families very well, mm -hmm. and good and bad. And uh, 
and try to support the kids the best way we can with what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, your fundraising events that you do, uh, Lori, my wife, and I, you know, we, we love what you do in the scholarship area because that's the part we love to see the wealth of the community come together and support, you know, the folks that, that have exactly. a, a real need in the financial area. Um, because California is just so expensive to live in. Um, but picking up a family and moving to another state some sometimes isn't the best or easiest thing to do for a family because there's you came back to Carlsbad because of family. Exactly. Right? And so that's the kind of thing we like. But we love how you run your events because it's not a lot of talking, but you get the message across and you've gotten the community involved to where everybody's pulling. You, you mentioned about we're, you're all rowing in the same direction, all pulling the wagon in the same direction. I think you guys have gotten the community to do that as well outside of your organization and developed a high level of trust for, in, in the community and donors and they want to support you because your trust level is so high. Well, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. You know, um, one of that one of the things that establish trust is, you know, are you are you serving the community the best way you can in the dollars you're giving? So, the largest independent charity evaluator is um, Charity Navigator, mm-hmm. that company. In the last several years, we received their highest rating, which is four stars. Um, and what you have to go through, Art, to get those four stars is pretty arduous. Um, you know, you have to you have to um, you have to provide a lot of financial information of where your money is being sent, mm-hmm. being spent rather. And so, um, you know, we're very into um, serving the young people as best we can through the dollars we're given. And so, I think it comes to eighty-three cents out of every dollar is um, is for programming and young people. It mm-hmm. goes toward the kids and yeah. what we're doing. And that's a, and that I, is a great percentage. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It is. And that's what we're about. Um, you know, when I started with the organization in 2010, we had 15 full-time people. Mm-hmm. In 2019, we have 15 full-time people. Wow, wow. Uh, yet we've grown exponentially in terms of how many children we serve each day. Right. So I think that says a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been in the community since 1952. Um, we were actually chartered a boys club three days before the city was chartered a city mm-hmm. in terms of Carlsbad. So that's how long we've been a part of the fabric of the community. So there's been, there's been fortunately, you know, before I got there, there's been some longstanding trust, mm-hmm. you know, that the Boys and Girls Clubs of Carlsbad is a solid organization. And then we've built upon that trust over years. And then you mentioned our events. We, I think we run classy events mm-hmm. um, where people have a good time, they understand the cause, and they have fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, what, that's what we try to do. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Now, you talked a little bit about changing the culture. And I think you know, you recognize the, the history of the organization. And just from your words today, I think I've realized that you didn't come in and, and throw out everything that had occurred before it. You recognized what it was, and then you tried to build on it and improve on it. Exactly. Right? 
So you don't, yeah. you don't throw it out just because you have a new leader. Right. They try and build on. Right. There, there were some things established. The, the, uh, the organization, I will tell you, was not in good shape. Uh, we were uh, tapping the line my first couple of years. We were tapping our credit line for, to make payroll. Mm-hmm. Um, but you understand this, Art, and what we do, it's all about people. Mm-hmm. We don't sell widgets. It, it's, it's people working with people. So it's developing your people. My, one of my philosophies is hire good people and let them do their job. Right, right. And so, you know, I've tried to execute that. Uh, and, and we've now got a top-notch staff, um, and, uh, and I let them do their job. I come alongside them and try to help them be the best they can be. I mean, that's that simple. Right, right. And, uh, and, and so it, 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 it was improving the way we 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 helped kids you know and I, I try to build into the culture that hey we're privileged to serve these kids right the the moms and dads out there they rely on us you know they want to count on us to deliver good programs and treat their uh, children with respect and dignity and help them grow and everything that's a that's a big charge it is yep and that's what we need to do, uh-huh. and um, and you need good people to do that. Right. Uh, you need people that are passionate about helping kids, um, as well as have some skill, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, um, yeah. character and, and skill go together, yeah. right? Yep, yep. So um, yeah, it's been it's been really gratifying for me personally to help the organization in those ways. So I'm going to encourage the listeners that are listening today back this up. And listen to what you had to say again. Just, you know, the last couple of minutes, I want my audience to really hear what you said because you guys are doing it the right way. And, you know, what we talk about SLI, it's not about the result. You can get results in a lot of different ways, but you guys are doing it the right way. And when you do it the right way, you have such an impact. How many lives do you think have gone through the doors at the Boys and Girls Club here in Carlsbad? Oh, well, since 1952, it's in the, uh, you know, it's in the thousands and thousands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't tell you the exact number. Um, I, I will tell you that um, we've gotten so many, we've gotten so much positive feedback from um, from kids that are now adults that, and they express what the club did for them mm-hmm. when they were growing up. Um, including Greg Nelson. Um, you know, when Greg Nelson said, I, you know, what the club has done for me, I could never give back enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we have, fortunately, we've had many, we've had many um, people tell us that. And uh, that, that just makes you feel great, right? I mean, that's, that's what we're here for. Right, exactly. That's what, that's what we should be doing. It's not like, hey, we're great. No, that's, the impact we want to have that we aspire to. We want to be impactful. We don't want to babysit. Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, and so that's what, uh, you know, our people understand that. You mm-hmm. know, it's about impact. It's about mentoring. It's about helping them grow. Uh, and um, I, we take pride in that. Okay. So everybody can understand why I think you are a great servant leader is exactly what you were just talking about. You guys serve from your heart. It's very apparent from the CEO level all the way down. And that's what great servant, you've talked about relationships, you've talked about meeting people where they are, adding value to those lives and influencing them in a positive way. 
It's just not clock in and clock out and I'm here to be a babysitter. You don't want to do that. You want to really impact that life in a positive way. Have fun. A lot of people have forgotten to have fun in life and create that safe environment where people can trust and open up to that learning that you guys are, are providing. So you guys are doing a great job here in the community. Well, and I commend you for that. Well, yeah. thank you, Art. Yeah. Um, thank you. While I, I know that we're not entirely perfect, uh, we, do, uh, we do try to execute all of that. And uh, like I said, I, I, uh, I'm, proud of our, I'm proud of our organization and our people. Our board is uh, dynamic. And, um, you know, we, we try to put it all together and make it. And it's, again, I, I've learned from our staff. I've learned from our board uh, many lessons in my 10 years. Um, it's, I don't do this in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. We learn from each other right. uh, and so on and so forth. And I, our, again, our, I'm repeating myself, but if we, if we consistently begin everything due with, will this help? the young people we're privileged to serve. Exactly. Then we'll be okay. Right, exactly. All right, Brad, thank you for spending some time with us today. We really appreciate it. I think our listeners are going to get a a lot out of what you shared with us today. And I have to tell you, I'm thrilled that your basketball career ended and you ended up back here in (laughs) Carlsbad. So... (laughs) <laughs> well, thanks so much, Art. You've been yeah. you've been great to our organization. Uh, it's been really uh, it's been fun for me to get to know you over these years, and I, I appreciate you having me on today. Well, I have to have to share with everybody. The first time I met Brad at a, at an event, uh, and I started to realize who you were. I mean, you were tall, and and Brad Holland. I know that name. I know that name, and I <laughs> hope my mouth didn't drop to the floor too no. much. Okay, so. Um, I'm big UCLA fan. I'm a Bruin and just love that program and love the football program and we got a good coach now. Mick Cronin yeah. is going to do a really good job. I think that was a really good hire. Uh, you know, proof will be in the in the next few years, but uh he's a winner. He's um I, I think he's uh I think he's going to do a terrific job there and we need that. I mean, yeah. we we need a, a true leader, uh, guys that w- a guy that will hold the players accountable and yep. and develop them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he certainly did that at Cincinnati. Uh, I just uh, I think he's going to do well. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, again, Brad, thanks for hanging out with us today. It's great to have you with us and keep up the great success. Thanks so much, Art. Appreciate it. Enjoyed being with you today. All right, great. Thanks a lot, Brad. Talk to everybody soon. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Hey everyone, real quick before you go, we have two great events coming up. At SLI, we believe that servant leaders meet people where they are. So we are providing two ways to learn about the fundamentals of servant leadership. The first event will be an online webinar titled An Introduction to Servant Leadership. The second is a public workshop that will also be an introduction to servant leadership held here at SLI. These are two ways in which you can learn about what servant leadership is and what it is not. So who do we think will benefit the most from attending these events? Business owners, C-suite leaders, managers of all levels, teams interested in growing together, and anyone who has an interest in servant leadership will benefit from attending. So if you're local to the Southern California area, join us in person, or if you are able to attend remotely, choose the online webinar. We want to share our knowledge of servant leadership with you and your team. 
We hope to see you at one of these events. Registration information is on our website. That's www.servantleadershipinstitute.com. We also have a free gift to go along with this episode. We want to send you a PDF of our Flip the Org chart. Just email us at info at servantleadershipinstitute.com with the title Flip the Org Chart, and we will send that over to you. Thank you once again for allowing us to add value to your day.